For the past six months, I've been thinking and praying about and seeking to live out of overflow. Dictionary.com defines overflow as to flow or run over as rivers of water. And when I say I've been focusing on that for the past six months, what I really mean is I've been focusing on it more than I ever have in my life during these last six months. Jesus talked about overflow actually quite a bit in his ministry. I've read through the Bible many times, and it was really uh, out of a, a rereading of several passages of Scripture that I started thinking and considering a, this idea of overflow. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. If you haven't read the Bible much, you might be a little surprised that Jesus called the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, a brood of vipers. But the reality is Jesus cared about our hearts and what flows or overflows from them. When Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, what he meant was the words we say represent the overflow of our hearts. If our words are always criticizing everyone, then we probably have critical hearts. If even in the midst of difficulty and challenge, we exude hope and joy, then our hearts probably are filled with hope and joy. Some would say that Jesus focused on um, what you know, comes out of our mouth is whether we speak clean or dirty words, you know, or what's our language like. And to a degree, that's true. But the reality is, the context of his statement shows us that his focus was much deeper than just whether we're speaking vulgar words or good words. He said, good people out of the good treasure bring forth good. And that treasure includes the fruit of the Spirit, which is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When our hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit, He overflows in our lives. Jesus made that statement clear in another statement that He made in the Gospel of John. Let's look at that passage. It's from John chapter 7. It says, On that, the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. The reason he was shouting is there are so many people, and he didn't have a microphone or sound system like we do. And he said, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the Scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So Jesus called the overflow of the Holy Spirit living water. What a powerful image. I mean, we know that water brings life and drought brings death. But he said living water, which John tells us means the Holy Spirit flows out of everyone who believes. And so living water flows or overflows from us when we believe in Jesus. And that's really the key. You know, our hearts don't get filled up with good things by following rules and regulations. That we don't receive the Holy Spirit by following the law. The Pharisees, who Jesus called a brood of vipers, worked diligently at following Moses' law. But their hearts 
weren't filled with goodness. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, what overflowed from them was condemnation, pride, criticism, and an unwillingness to believe in Jesus. Now, if you've been with us for the past month and a half, and you're wondering, what's this have to do with the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians? That is a reasonable question. In fact, the answer is, it has everything to do with it. As I said, back in January, when I was reading through the scriptures and focusing on this idea of overflow, it was really the letter to the Galatians that caused me to really start to emphasize and focus on overflow in my own life. We haven't made it to Galatians chapter 5 yet, but when we do, we're going to see how Paul made it so clear it's out of the overflow of a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit that we experience freedom and fruit. Now, for the purpose of our summer series, we've divided the letter up into 13 sections. But the reality is that letter makes one unified point. Jesus is the source of freedom and fruit in our lives. It's no accident that Jesus said anyone who believes in him will have rivers of living water flowing from him or that we will be living out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit. In today's reading from Galatians 3, 23 to 4, 7, which you're going to find on page 18 if you have that study guide with you, um, Paul gives us a new analogy for what it means to live in the freedom of relationship with Jesus Christ and what it means to live outside of and no longer underneath slavery to the law. As we're going to see, Paul changed the focus on the law's purpose as well as the image he used for who we become when Jesus is Lord. So let's look at today's take-home point. For those who are with us for the first time, that's the one point I'm going to be making from Scripture today that we want to live out at home and we want to pray about it, reflect on it, and make it part of our lives. So here it is. Because of Jesus, we are free to be the children of God. Because of Jesus, we are free to be the children of God. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul told us that everybody who is you know, free in Jesus Christ is a child of Abraham. But now he says we're not only children of Abraham, but we're actually children of the living God. We mere mortals are God's children. So let's turn to Galatians 3.23 to see how that takes place. Before you turn there, if you do have this study guide, I need to mention on page 18, the heading says Galatians 3.15 to 22. It's actually Galatians 3.23 to 4.7. I made that mistake, so I apologize. Before we turn to the scripture, let's pray. God, we thank you so much that the apostle Paul was led by you to challenge the Galatian believers to come back to faith in you. God, we pray today that as we read these words that we will be freed to realize that we are your children and even heirs with Jesus of all your blessings. We pray that by your Spirit's power in us, we'll understand that, not only in our minds, but that we'll understand it to the point that we live it out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul wrote... Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. So Paul had a powerful grasp on what biblical scholars call salvation history. He understand that God had a plan that really started before he created the earth for the salvation of human beings. And one of those, one part of that salvation history plan was Jesus. Another part was giving the 
promise to Abraham that one day Jesus would come. But in between the coming of Abraham and that promise to Abraham and the coming of Jesus was the giving of the law of Moses. So why in the world, when God made a promise to Abraham and the promise was fulfilled in Jesus, did he give us the law? And here's why. God gave us the law to protect us. Paul said that God placed us under guard by the law. In fact, he said we were in protective custody. Anytime we think about the law, we tend to think of one of two things, one of two ways. The law either exists to protect us or the law exists to restrict us. Let's think about a certain law that we have in the United States of America. We're supposed to drive on the, not supposed to, it's a law. We have to drive on the right side of the road. Why was that law given? Well, actually, if we think about it, It was given to protect us. Think about what would happen if we would get in our cars, go out on the road, and drive wherever we wanted to. We didn't have to drive on the right side of the road. We could drive on the left, right, off the road, on the sidewalks, wherever. Well, obviously, there would be a lot of crashes. In fact, if we only drive on the right side of the road, 100% of the time, we eliminate most of the crashes that are going to take place. So Paul told us that the Galatian, told the Galatian believers and us, that the law was given us to us to protect us keep us in the right lane, if you will, until faith was given. That is, until Jesus came. So Paul offered another way of looking at it. He said, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. I've become a lot more aware of what it means to be a guardian over the past four years than I ever have in my life. When Nancy and I became the legal guardians for Teresa, Kina, and Miko, we agreed that we would become in the place of their mom and dad. We are not their mom and dad, but we have the responsibility to fulfill those roles until they obtain the age of 18. So the law's purpose was the same thing. It was to guide us to maturity. Every good guardian guides the children that he's or she is a guardian over, to maturity as an adult. So Paul continued, For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Paul loved to paint pictures, and here what he said is that when we get baptized, it's like putting on Christ, like putting on a new set of clothes. Now I think there are probably some of you watching who like to put on new clothes, but I'm guessing nobody probably like to put on new clothes as much as the people that Paul was writing to. Why would I say that? Well, because they only own one set of clothes or maybe two. So being given a chance to put on new clothes would be a great opportunity. So whenever they heard that image, putting on new clothes, they probably thought, whoa, that's an enjoyable experience. But Paul was talking about a a lot more than an enjoyable experience. He was talking about a whole new life. In fact, he put it this way. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, again, we read the words, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. And we might think, well, that's an interesting point. But for Paul's readers, that was not an interesting point. It was a profound truth. Think about it. In Paul's day, if you were a Jew, you considered Gentiles to be scum. If you were a slave, imagine, you had no rights or very few rights, but if you were free, you had an abundance of rights. In Paul's day, men pretty much ran things, and women didn't have a lot to do with what was going on or what was was really determined. 
And so when Paul cut through the distinctions of Jew and Greek or Gentile, slave and free, men and women, he said every person matters to God and every person who belongs to Christ is a recipient of God's promise to Abraham. Wow, that's an amazing thing. You know, we live in a world of superlatives and hyperbole, right? We talk about cell phones and cars as if they're awesome or incredible. But when we read the truth that because of what Jesus did, we become children of the living God, that is really worthy of saying, wow, that is awesome. That is incredible. So in case they didn't get the point, Paul continued the analogy. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young child, children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. Now remember, Moses said, or I mean, Paul said that Moses' law is a guardian, a protector. And so he uses this analogy. He says, if you're a child and your father, in our case, father and mother dies, you're really not much better off than a slave. Why is that? Well, it's because you don't get the inheritance until a time appointed by your parents when they died. Paul put it this way. He says, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. So with Teresa, Kina, and Miko, the the situation is much different than that. but But Nancy and I did have control over their lives until they reached or reached the age of 18. What that means actually now is Miko is the only one who has to do what we say from a legal standpoint. We are still her guardian for Teresa and Kina. They've reached the age of majority, so that has changed. They've been set free, if you will, from the guardianship. So Paul told the Galatian believers, that's the way it is or was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. You and I, We're all under the guardianship of the law until Jesus came. In Paul's illustration, a child is under the guardian's control until he or she reaches the age of majority. In our case, we were under the law's control until Jesus came to set us free. Here's how it happened. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. In the original Greek, Paul wrote it this way. He said, in the fullness of time. I love the way, in the fullness of time, what Paul was saying is, before the creation of the universe, God decided a moment in all of history, in all of eternity, really, when Jesus would come to be born of a woman. It was just the right moment. And he was born of a woman. He was subject to the law, just as all of us are subject to the law. Why? So he could live the perfect life that only he could live. None of us have ever lived a perfect life. So then he could die on the cross exchanging that perfect life for our freedom. He bought our freedom when he did that. So the good news is this. Jesus bought our freedom from sin and death and from slavery to the law so God could adopt us as his very own children. I know you're watching at home, but maybe right now would be a good time for you to just say, Amen. That is amazing good news. When, that, when did that happen? When did God send Jesus to the earth? At the very precise moment, not a moment before or not a moment later. And what Paul says next is incredible. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The title of today's message is Welcome to the Family. 
We who were dead in sin, we who had walked away from God, we who were slaves to the law, we who might not even have believed in God are welcomed into the family of God because Jesus paid the price, the price that we owed God. Notice what happens when we become part of the family. It says God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit lives in our lives, and out of that Holy Spirit living in our lives comes the overflow that I was talking about at the beginning of the message that I've been focusing on for the last six months. And out of that overflow, overflow, we get to call out Abba, Father. We could even say Abba, Daddy, because the Aramaic word Abba means Papa or possibly Daddy. If it makes you uncomfortable that we get to call the God of the universe Daddy, that's okay. I mean, after all, what does the law say? The law says that God is holy and we're not supposed to have any other gods but that one God, that we're supposed to bow down before that God, that we're supposed to respect him above everything else. And that's still true even after we're set free. But here's the thing. The family connection supersedes the legal formalism. The family connection supersedes the, the legal formalism. Let, let me give you an illustration. When Emmy, our younger daughter was in middle school, she became friends with Casey Maddox. Casey's father was Tommy Maddox, who was the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time. The first time I met Tommy was after a chorus concert that Emmy and Casey were singing in. And he walked out, you know, Casey and Emmy were there and I was standing with them and Tommy walks out and he walks up to me, sticks out his hand and he says, hi, I'm Tommy Maddox. And he shook my hand and I'm like, I know who you are, you're Tommy Maddox, you're the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you just shook my hand. But you know what, to Casey Maddox, he was just dad. Because of what Jesus did, God is our dad and we are his sons and daughters. We are adopted into the family, which Paul pointed out makes us heirs. Now, I remember when Brad and Sam French um, adopted Marcus. We were actually there in the courtroom when the proceedings took place. And when they were doing that, the judge said to Brad and Sam, I want you to understand that he has all the rights of a son, including he is your heir. Now, I don't remember the exact wording that the judge said, but I do remember that thinking, that's what God did for us. God gave us the same rights as sons and daughters as Jesus has as the actual only son of the living God. But we're adopted into the family. We become joint heirs with Jesus. Now, imagine if we lived as that were true moment to moment. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted the Galatians to get through their minds and into their hearts. Why in the world would you ever want to be a slave to the law when you are free and you are the child of the living God? You know, why would anyone who's been adopted by the perfect God of the universe ever want to fall into slavery as a, underneath a guardian ever again? I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Let's look at it this way. If God calls us sons and daughters through our relationship with Jesus, why do we ever settle for anything less than that? Think about that for a moment. Why do we? Well, I I know why. I think I know why. I'm pretty sure I know why. It's because we want control. It, It always comes down in life to two words, control and trust. If we don't trust something, we try to control it. If we don't believe that someone or something has our best interest at heart, then what we do is we try to force the situation. And the reality is God has our best interest at heart, but we don't always necessarily believe that. 
And we don't always believe that he's going to do what's good for us. And so we try to control what we don't trust, even if it's God. And as Paul put it, we receive the Spirit of God's Son, the Holy Spirit, into our life through the gift of salvation. And all we need to do, now listen, all we need to do is trust the reality of the gift and the giver and live as full heirs of God as his beloved children. Now, if you're ready to do that or continue doing that, here's today's next step. It's very simple. I will live as a child of God this week. I will live as a child of God this week. Now, it does sound so simple, doesn't it? Just trust God's promises are true. Trust that Jesus' death on the cross was for you and for me. Trust that his resurrection gave us the power so that we could live new lives. And as we do that, the presence of the power and the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, into our lives, and ultimately overflows from our lives. And we get to live out of overflow. Overflow, what a great reality. And it's ours. And all we have to do is believe in Jesus and live as the sons and daughters of God that Jesus made happen. Jesus said, that's who we are. And it is who we are. Amen. Now, some of you might be watching and you might be thinking, it can't be that easy. I I can't just trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord and I get to be a child of the living God. It just can't be that easy. Well, it isn't always easy. And the reason it isn't always easy is because we, we will still have an old nature inside of us that's wanting to be in control, that's wanting to doubt the challenges. And that doesn't disappear just because we become God's child. It isn't like the Holy Spirit comes into us and everything that we've ever experienced and all the negative stuff that's in there just goes away. There's a battle going on. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks when we get to chapter 5. But right now, what I want you to understand is starting that new life, living as a child of God, becoming God's son or daughter is simple. And it's, it's, it's as simple as A, B, C. The first thing we do is we admit that we're sinners. We admit that there's some stuff going on inside of us <clears throat> that we know is wrong, that we know it's against God's purpose. We know that it isn't what a child of the living God is going to think, say, or do. So we admit it. Second, we believe. B, believe. We believe that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, that He's the one who fulfilled that promise that was given to Abraham so that we can not only be children of Abraham, but children of the living God. And we believe that He's Lord, which means owner or master, that He's Savior, which means that He is the one who has saved us or rescued us from sin and death. And then see, we confess to God all of those sins that we have inside of us, and then we confess to those around us, or we just say out loud to those around us, maybe our family members, maybe people at work, maybe our friends that we you know, are at the playground with, we say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And we want people to understand that we're under new ownership. That's what it's, it's simple as that. Now, right now I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And if you have a desire for Jesus to become Lord in your life, Savior in your life, so that you can be the child of the living God, so that you can start that new life, that lives out of overflow of the Holy Spirit, then pray it with me. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I pray on behalf of my friends who are watching, who want to give ownership of their life over to you. I admit, God, that I'm a sinner, that 
I've turned against you in my thoughts, my words, and my actions. And I do believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is your son. He is God. He is Savior, rescuer from sin and death. He's Lord. He's owner, master in my life. And I take that on right now in my life. And I, I confess to you, God, the sins of my life, there are so many. But I ask you to wash them away by the blood of Jesus. And, and I ask you to bring your Holy Spirit into my life so that I can start to live out of the flow of that Spirit and ultimately the overflow of the Spirit so that what I think, say, and do will be guided and directed and led by your Spirit so that I truly will be your child, so that I can actually say, Abba, Father, so that I can actually live my life in a way that brings you glory and honor, but most importantly, after that, after bringing you glory and honor, will bring me a sense of your presence in my life, moment to moment. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everyone. God's richest blessings to you. Remember, you are a son or daughter of the living God. Let's live out that heritage this week.